Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us today on this Memorial Day weekend. It's a time when we think about the freedoms we have in this country and the freedoms that didn't come without a cost. So we thank all of those, like my grandfathers who, uh, who served, uh, many who died in the service so that we could have freedom today. So I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend and don't take for granted the, the, the incredible freedom we have. With that, we're in a series called Family Room, and we've been talking about how God wants to create this space in us, in our families. Uh, When our families did it great, it sets us up well. When our families didn't do it great, God supplements that by wanting to be a source of, of emotional connection to us. We learned last week what it is for Family Room to be a workout room, how to build resilience, how God builds resilience in us. And today we're going to look at how our family, our house, can be a home. A place where people only feel emotionally connected, not only they're built up, but a place that they feel the appreciation and the favor of others. Uh, well, how do we make our, our homes and our houses a place where that kind of joy and that kind of connection can happen? You know, I don't know if you uh, ever thought about people who antique. You know, people who antique, they have this ability to find things that, that are incredible value in the midst of what seems like a bunch of junk. Right? And I don't bet you, but like, what's the difference between a piece of junk and an antique? I've learned it's about a hundred bucks. That's the difference between junk and an antique. And yet, there are some people who have this incredible eye. They can walk into a store that seems like somebody's garage sale that should have you know, closed up 50 years ago, and they can find the perfect piece. Then you'll go into a high-end home, and there will be this bizarre piece of antique placed in there, and you're like, that is perfect. I never would have thought about putting that in there. You know, it looks good. It's just amazing. The ability to put the right thing at the right place, to see things of value and place them in places of value. My dad used to love this book, uh, not this book, this TV show called American Pickers. Anybody watch American Pickers? So my dad loved American Pickers. And they had this ability to go into like the, the worst of circumstances, people's backyards, people's barns. And again, they can pick out something of value and place it in another home. Pick up something of value in the midst where it doesn't seem like there's any. In fact, my dad and I got a chance to visit their headquarters uh, right on the Mississippi River next to Iowa when we went up to Sturgis for a motorcycle rally several years ago. And right there next to the American Pickers headquarters, we got to go in there and see some of the famous things they picked out and valued. And their town, across the Mississippi to an Illinois town, has an annual tug fest where they have a tug of war, where they literally have one town on one side of the Mississippi and one town on the other side of the Mississippi, and they try and drag each other into the river. We were there the day before the tug fest. It was fascinating. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, but one of the things family does is the ability to, in the middle of the chaos and the disagreements and the idiosyncrasies and the personality differences, do we have the ability to reach in, pick out moments, and value the people around us rather than just parallel playing with them? I saw an interview with the COO of Walmart many, many years ago. This was the original COO who worked with Sam Walton. And they used to go store to store to talk to all the associates, encourage them, taking road trips across the country. He said often on the way, they'd stop at these little strip malls, just these kind of horribly organized, terrible little strip malls. And he'd walk in with Sam Walton, and the COO was talking. He said, it'd just be absolute chaos. How does anyone buy anything here? And I was kind of taking notes, like, you know, I'm so glad we do it the way we do it because this place is a mess. And Sam Walton made a whole circle around this little strip mall. He comes out, and he's like, did you see this place? I know, what a disaster. No, did you see this? He walks him over, and he's like, look at this. And he pulls out in the middle of this totally disorganized, not even labeled a chair. 
that was covered up with boxes. We don't have one like this. Like what? And sure enough, there's this one decent chair in there. They got the UPC symbol off it, and they started using it and supplying it in different Walmart stores. And he said, I just could not believe that in the middle of all this chaos, he had the ability to reach in and find something of value and pull it out. But that's what Sam Walton was good at, finding value in the most chaotic of experiences. I want to share today that a family room is designed to be a favor room, a place that in your family you are favored, that favor is communicated to you. The Bible calls a blessing, communicating favor. And, and if you're in a family, whether it's a family of a husband and wife or family with kids, one of the best ways to make it flourish is to give favor to one another, to say how much you appreciate one another, to mention and notice the things we do right, to in the midst of the chaos and disagreements to remember what a... To, communicate that favor to one another. And a favor room is a room where everybody's seen. Their struggles are seen. Their strengths are seen. Their weaknesses are seen. They are valued. But also, a family room is a place you're celebrated. When, when, when work's beating you up, when life's beating you up, this is the place you come to be celebrated, to not have to be on all the time. So I want to look at three ways we can be pickers today. Three areas that we can pick out value to see and celebrate and to value the people around us. And I want to tell you two stories from the Bible to do that. The first picker is something we see in a story of a woman named Hagar. And we're going to see that a picker is someone, whether it's a husband, whether it's a boss, whether it's a family member, can see the value in the things around you. You see people rather than just walking on past them. You see what they're going through and you ask about it. You, you say that they matter. You see the value. Pick out those moments and you pick out those places. So there's a woman in the Bible named Hagar, and she's married to Abraham, but Abraham's already disobeying God. He's got two wives, Sarah and Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant, and shocker, this causes problems, his polygamy in their marriage. And so he decides to side with his first wife, and Abraham, the father of the faith, is a you know, scoundrel. He kicks out his pregnant wife. Nice. She's now wandering through the wilderness, having been devalued, thrown off by her husband, by her... She's the maidservant of Sarah, whatever you want to call her. And even this person who talks about this amazing God he's serving, and here's how she feels isolated and devalued. As she's crawling her way through the desert, thinking she's going to die, it says, the God of the universe... Of all things he's got going on, he cared about this Egyptian maidservant. It says the angel of the Lord found her. She was lost. She didn't know where she was going to go. But God sought her out and found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. She's in a very desperate place, in a very desperate situation, thinks no one cares, no one knows me, no one values me. But the God of the universe appears to her finds her at this wilderness by the spring. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Tell me your story. Now, do you think God lacked knowing where she'd come from or where she's going? No. But he used questions to share the value, to hear what her story is, to hear what was going on with her. So two things we can pick up here. Number one, one of the things we do as a picker is we see that we find the people in our life. How many times do you just rush past the people you work with? I'm guilty of that all the time. Pausing for a moment, checking in. How are things going? How's your weekend? 
finding the people. Let's go to lunch. What, what's, what's really going on? Anything going on I should know about? Any, any way I could support you? Like, God, are we finding the people around us? How, how often do we run back and forth between soccer games and, and, and swim meets and, and, and we don't even find the moment in the car to just take a moment to kind of see each other, connect with each other? What are you struggling with? I remember, I remember you broke up with your girlfriend last month. How's, how are you doing with that? See, everyone you work with, everyone you, you, you do business near, they've got some wilderness going on in their life. They might be at the highest of highs or they might be going through a time where they feel like they've been shunned or they've been pushed off. And they're looking for a boss or a parent or a friend to see them when they're lost and to value them in the wilderness they're in. And often the best way we do that was questions. And we just see God doing it through the angel of the Lord. He asks questions. What's going on? Where are you going? Where are you headed? What can I do? What's pretty amazing is after this encounter with God's spirit, and he's called the angel of the Lord, and it's a little theological, a little religious, but whenever the term the angel of the Lord, not just a angel, but the angel of the Lord is used, it's always Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. It's called a theophanies. It's kind of a big fancy word for it. But it's that Jesus himself appeared as the angel of the Lord, and Jesus himself was valuing this Egyptian maidservant that had been shunned by the father of our faith. She is so touched by this, so overwhelmed by this, that she names this place the, the Well of Beheloroi. It's kind of a fancy term which means this. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she says, have I also here seen him who sees me? The God of the universe sees me. My circumstances may not change, but I know I'm not alone. I know I'm valued. I've been picked out of my circumstance. God cares where I'm at. He cares where I'm going. And she names God the God who sees me because I've seen the one who sees me. That's how powerful it is when you know you're seen, when you know that your wildernesses matter. I had a woman at our church who worked with special needs kids and she worked a lot of families. And a lot of the kids who came in with special needs, some with learning disabilities, some with dyslexia, some were you know, more complicated than that. And often because of those learning disabilities, they had felt shunned or made fun of or whatever, whether they were six or whether they were 16. And one of the first things she always did is she just got to know the kids and really celebrate them and really understand them. And all the parents who went and met with her said, every time my kid comes out of her office, they feel like a million bucks. She just has this ability to, yes, she gives some techniques for dyslexia and some techniques for other things, but what she really does is really sees my child as more than a disability, more than their learning challenges. She sees them and celebrates them. I want to learn how to do that with my kids because especially if your kids have learning disabilities, I had a couple of kids with ADHD, all you see is the frustrations of it. Oh, my goodness, homework takes two hours. How do we see and celebrate? And that's what she said to me. I said, well, what's your secret? She says, we've got to celebrate the people in our life. We're not celebrated enough. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, when I first started working at Horizon, um, Terry Larson worked here, and, you know, she's one of our incredible hard workers and just did incredible things around here, and she's retired this last year. And she told me about three years after I was working here, she said, Chad, I didn't think you liked me. Terry, I love you. Why, why would I not love you? She's like, you always ignored me when you came in the office. Well, it's not that I ignored you. I didn't see you. Oh. 
I walk by her office every day. Because when I come to the office, play mode is over. I like to play hard, but I like to work. I'm in the work mode. I'm like, to-do lists start coming down. Check, check, check. I'm, 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 I'm playing out my day. I'm thinking about six messages that are happening two months from now, one from three weeks from now, I'm talking about the creative meeting I'm going to this week. I just don't see the people around me because I got fun, exciting work I'm working on. And I just realized part of me being a picker is to pick out the people I work with that I walk past. And so I started deliberately stopping occasionally, still not as much as I should, but I, I catch myself as my to-do list are scrolling. Hey, how you doing? I know you're taking care of, for Terry in case, I know you're still taking care of your, your aging parents and how hard that's been. How are things going? Just ask a few questions and, and get to know kind of what her life was like and to see the way in which she honored her parents through some very difficult circumstances until her dad died. And just it's amazing how little conversations we begin to see the people around us, pick out the value of that, pick out the wildernesses they're going through, care as bosses. And it just really changed me and still have got a long way to go in this because I, I love getting stuff done to really not miss the people around me. Well, a little bit later on, we're going to pick up on the story, go to our second aspect of, of uh, being a picker, is, is there's this incredible value of being understood and also assigning value, speaking value into other people. So Abraham has some children, Isaac, and Isaac ends up having some kids named Jacob and Esau, and they're just always kind of going at each other's throats. And, and one child is kind of the warrior, he's the athlete, he's the archer, and the other one's more the poet. And mom has a tendency to celebrate the poet, but not necessarily the archer, and dad has a tendency to kind of lean into the archer and not the poet. I think this can be hard sometimes as parents when one of the children that's like you either drives you crazy because you see your weaknesses in them or it's hard for you to relate to your other child because they always want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. They always want to talk about you know, Harry Potter and you're not into it. But how do we as parents learn to value the differences around us? The Bible has a word for this. It's called the blessing. Well, Jacob and Esau have been kind of horse trading their whole life to get the blessing from dad. And then that culture is much bigger than just a I love you. It was... You get, you know, more inheritance in the future. You're kind of in charge of the family estate. It was a big deal. So as they're getting into the situation, Isaac has lost his eyesight. That's dad. And he sent Esau off to get some food, to go hunt some food. Isaac's wife wants her son, her favorite, to get the blessing, Jacob. She says, tell you what, dad just sent Esau out to, to cook. I've already made a meal. Wait a few minutes as if you went out. I want you to go in and pretend to be Esau and get the blessing. He's like, all right. And Jacob walks into his half-blind father, pretending to be his brother, and says, Hey, I'm Esau. <coughs> I'm Esau, uh, your firstborn. <coughs> I've uh, done just as you told me. <coughs> Please uh, rise, sit, eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. And what we see in this story is something that's true for all of us. We all long for the voices that we value the most to speak value into us, to assign value to us. Now, we probably all have different ones, right? You might be, hey, your voice you value most is your work. It's your boss. It's your quarterly results. It's your next project. But we all have a voice that we value the most. And we long for, we thirst for that voice to speak blessing into us. We want that. And that's what Esau wants. And if we don't get that blessing, we're willing to play a part to get the blessing. If we can't be blessed for who we are, we'll end up becoming something we're not. We'll put on airs. We'll pretend to be something we're not. We will play a part if it means we can feel the value of being valued 
by our friend group, by our boss, by our company. We might say, people don't know who I really am, but I play this part and and I'm rewarded for it. That's what Jacob does. Look, I am Esau. No, he's not. In fact, he purposely took some fur from like one of the goats or sheep and puts it on his arm because his brother's pretty hairy. So when dad's like, you don't sound exactly like Esau, let me feel your arms. He's literally playing a part with these furry lamb outfits over him so he's as hairy as his brother. But we so long for favor. We so long to be appreciated. We so long to be celebrated. We so long to have value assigned to us by the voices we care about most. We will play a part to do it. That your soul may bless me, that you would value me, that you'd pick me out and see what I do and see what I care about and tell me it matters. Now, if that's true, that means your spouse, no matter how confident they look, they're longing for your blessing. If you take a moment and say, I want you to know I'm so proud to be your your husband. I'm so glad I married you. We've been married for 15 years, 29 years. Man, I only love you, I still like you too. And I love the time we have together. And if you go more than just what you do, speak to who they are. I'm just so glad you're so trustworthy. Man, I can see a lot of couples that just don't trust each other. Thank you for your loyalty. You start speaking to the deeper version of them, the, the character of who they are that you know. It is a way to speak life into your kids and life into your spouse. Because we're all longing for that blessing. And when we don't get that blessing in our family of origin, it becomes an insatiable ambition in our life. You see... Esau is now shown up, and dad has been tricked. He gave away the blessing. Esau shows up and doesn't get the blessing. Esau heard the words of his father, I blessed the wrong guy. And he cried, this warrior of warriors cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He said to his father, bless me also, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And this lack of blessing... From his dad becomes an insatiable ambition to fill that hole with anything else. Progress, success. He becomes incredibly successful, all longing for the blessing he didn't get. That loss of blessing. I was talking to a guy in our our church a couple years ago. And he had just become an amazing business guy. Incredible success, top performer, top in the company, just did amazing things. I didn't really know him real well. So we got to know each other a little bit through a challenge and crisis that he was going through. And he said, I guess what I'd never realized is I've been so good at performing and at achieving that I just realized that my spouse has felt very alone for a while and I couldn't hear it, didn't hear it, didn't have the tools for it. And I realized I don't even really know myself real well, let alone her, and, and my kids are about to go to college and Man, I've done a good job of teaching them. I've a good job of encouraging them and training them with resilience, maybe like you talked about last week, but I'm not sure I know my kids. And I know they don't know me. What have I done with 15 years? And as he did some amazing work, he actually counted the number of days he had left before his kids went to college. It was, you know, 395. He said, I'm going to take advantage of every day left to get to know my kids and let them get to know me. Which is hard to do, right? When you've got a pattern of 16 years, it's hard. Your kids even give you hearing. But he began to make traction. But one of the things that struck with me the most, he said he wanted to go back and tell his dad that he was kind of making these changes and how his marriage was improving and how he was really improving and how his relationship with his kids were improving. So he sat down with his dad, a bit of a uh, kind of a gruff, emotionally unavailable guy, but a really successful man. He said, Dad, let me tell you what, what, what 
what's happening in my life. Let me tell you how my marriage is really getting stronger. Let me tell you what I'm discovering about myself. He kind of gets done sharing all these kind of amazing things that were happening in his inner life. And his dad says, yeah, well, it sounds to me like you just lost your edge. And he said, I was just so longing for my dad to see the progress I was making, the things I was working on that maybe I hadn't worked on before. And man, it was like a big <laughs> cold shower. But I've seen over the last couple of years continue to grow here at Horizon and find his heavenly father allowing him to feel that blessing of working on things that matter. His business matters, his success matters, his work matters, and these things matter. It's like the... Uh, it's kind of a parable of a father who came to his daughter and said, here's a car for your 16th birthday. She goes, oh, awesome. Well, what's, you know, kind of what is it? She'd never seen this car before. What's it worth? He says, tell you, why don't you go down to the pawn shop and see what it's worth? She takes a car down to the pawn shop, and they say, yeah, that, that car's worth about 100 bucks. 100 bucks for my 16th birthday? She comes back to dad. She's like, he says, worth 100 bucks. He's like, all right, well, why don't you go take it to the used car lot, see what they'll trade in for. Takes it down to the used car lot. Talk a little bit with the trade in value. He said, We'll probably give you a thousand bucks for it. Oh, that's ten times better. Comes back dead. Apparently, it's worth a thousand bucks. It's like, Well, okay, well, take it to the specialty car dealer that only specializes in European cars down on such and such lane. So he takes it down there. She goes, Yeah, I'm kind of looking at this car that my dad gave me, trying to figure out kind of how much this is worth. And the specialty car dealer says, Oh my, in fact, everybody gathers around to look at this thing. Oh, they hadn't seen one before. Yeah, that, that's like a $250,000 specialty car. Comes back, tells dad, and dad says this. Again, it's probably a parable, not probably a real story. But dad says, be careful who you let assign value to you. And that is why our culture will assign value on the silliest of things. What you weigh, what you perform, how many goals you score, all good stuff. But you are far more than the number of goals you score. You're far more than the number of deals you make. You're far more than whatever that thing is that is assigned value to you. And so the God of the universe comes and says, I want you to know that your value is so much more. And if your family of origin didn't do a great job of blessing you or speaking blessing into you, it's really amazing. God actually says he wants to sing songs over us, which might seem kind of silly. Because God's like saying, let me tell you how much I love you. I know all your mistakes. I know all your secrets. And I still love you. I'll forgive you for those. And I want you to know I brag on you in front of other people. I made you unique. You're not like anyone else. That's God's blessing he wants on your life. And for you and I, he wants us to assign that value, to speak that value into those in our life. Man, I really appreciate the way this. I noticed the way you did that. Man, I've never had a couple ever come in my office and say, okay, we got to talk. We need some marriage counseling. What's going on? He just encourages me too much. <laughs> yeah, she just thanks me too much for all the things I do around here. We just need to kind of downplay the happiness. He needs to downplay the, the, the appreciation around this house. I've never heard that. But I do hear a lot of couples and kids and parents thirsting, thirsting for favor. Well, Jacob runs off. Esau goes, builds a life for himself. So that insatiable ambition works pretty well for him in business. Jacob runs off to his uncle's house, a guy named Laban, and he gets to feel the sting of being deceived himself. It's pretty ironic. And God uses that to kind of show him. And Jacob, for 14 years, hasn't seen his brother. 14 years, probably hasn't seen his parents. 
And he has tried to manipulate his wealth to be blessed. He's tried to earn his way to be blessed. He's tried to buy his way into blessing. And he still feels like there's something missing. So he decides it's time to go back and see his brother. And he doesn't know if his brother's going to kill him or his brother's going to forgive him. So he actually hides his family because he thinks he's going to kill his family off. And he's just going to go face to face to see his dad. I mean, see his brother after all these years, 14 plus years. And he has a vision, a dream, an encounter with God. And in this encounter, God begins to deal with that need for a blessing underneath him. And this is our third picker. He arose that night, this is Jacob. He crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He sent his family over the brook so they don't get killed. Now Jacob was left alone. He's going to meet with his brother the next day. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So initially you think just somebody ambushed him and wrestled with him. We're going to find out in a moment it's the angel of the Lord. Same person generations ago that saw that Egyptian maidservant. That same angel of the Lord, Jesus in the Old Testament, is wrestling with Jacob. Whose name, by the way, means deceiver. Can you imagine naming your kid that? Hey, this kid's a real handful. Let's call him, let's see, uh, John, Chad. How about deceiver? <laughs> so this guy who's really tried to manipulate and deceive and connive his way into getting blessed his whole life, God is now wrestling with him. Right now he thinks it's a man. The passage continues. And we find out that you can't bless yourself. See, that's the third picker. We need someone or something outside of ourselves to value us. It might be our boss. It might be a crib. We need someone we respect and we value their opinion. When they say we matter, when they say that, that what we're doing is a good job, it speaks to us because you can't bless yourself. You need something or someone bigger than you to put that value into, to assign that value to you. And that's what happens. <laughs> So this is, the, this is the angel. When the angel saw that he did not prevail against him, do you think that's because God lacked the power to prevail against the guy? No. But he's like, man, this guy's really going at it. He's really wrestling me. So the angel goes over and just with a kind of flick of his finger, he, he, he hits his hip and knocks his hip out of the socket. Oh! The socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. God, I have a whole life I've tried to find me. My whole life I've tried to, nobody really cared about, nobody really understood me. I got lied by my Laban. I got cheated on for my wife. You have to look at that story later. God, my, my, my brother, and I, I deserved the blessing, but I didn't get the blessing. And then when I manipulated the blessing, it didn't really count or didn't really feel like it was supposed to count. And now I got my brother out to kill me. All this wrestling of his questions and his doubts and his striving for all these years. And now his hip is knocked out of joint by God. And the angel says, let me go for the day breaks. This is God speaking here. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. My whole life I have deeply wanted to be valued, to be blessed. And look what the angel of the Lord says to him. He gets a brand new name. And this is his blessing. From someone greater than him, God. Someone more important than him, the angel of the Lord. And he said to him, what is your name? My name is Jacob. In Hebrew, it means de de deceiver. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. See, if everyone like, where does the nation of Israel come from? Where does the name Israel come from? This is the moment, a man wrestling with God's blessing. And here's what the name Israel means. 
one who wrestles with God and prevails. Did you know that? God wants you to wrestle with your questions, wrestle with your doubts, wrestle with your wonderings. God doesn't want you to just say, well, he's going to do whatever he wants. He wants us to wrestle with him. Jacob's going to probably walk with a limp the rest of his life. But he's like, I don't care if I get a limp. I want the blessing. I want to know my creator cares about me and values me. And he gets a brand new name, Israel, one who wrestles with God. And Jacob called that name Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. It's like, you know, I don't mind sacrificing. I don't mind the hard work, but I want to know. And this fundamental change in his life, this name change, spoke to a greater spiritual reality that he now knew his value comes from God. And the God of the universe blessed him and cared for him. And ultimately, the, tw- the 12 tribes of Israel and all of history is changed by this moment where someone and something bigger than himself speaks value into him. See, the human heart, every kid, every adult, Every spouse, every employee, they long for someone to speak blessing into them. It reminds me, if you've come into our, uh, our property the last couple uh, weeks, maybe you've seen those G- big tree tubes we have that were set up right there between us and the dog park. So these are actually tubes that have trees growing in them. But they're designed in such a way to create an environment, almost like the forest, where all the light is coming from way up top. So the trees see the light up there and they grow toward the light. They grow toward the source of nourishment. They grow toward the source of light that's going to to be their source of growth and photosynthesis. So we've created an environment to help those trees reach toward the source. When we bless our kids, when we favor our kids, when we speak words of life to them, They reach toward that. They aspire to that. Oh, not every day, not every conversation. But over time, the theme is I want to grow toward the environment that loves me best, that values me most, that understands me the most. So maybe if you haven't volunteered, maybe you and your family want to come out and do that together. It's a fun activity to do as a family. It's it's kind of part of how our ecology project is uh, just making this whole property, working with the Nature Center. But think about that metaphor for your family? Are you putting value into your family in such a way that people want to grow into the vision you've given them? Yeah, you know, my grandma, when I was 16, I didn't know my grandma wrote poetry. She wrote me a, a poem when I was 16. I, and I've read a lot of poetry in my life. I like poetry. But the only poem I've really kept over the years was this one from my grandma. It's my 16th birthday. She wrote these incredible blessings about my, my brother and my sister who, you know, we fight sometimes and we have fun sometimes. She talked about my mom and dad in there. And then she writes this poem, uh, which I won't read to you, but basically, you know, it's not the greatest poem you've ever heard, but it means so much to me. I'll read you one paragraph. I have a young grandson named Chad. He's a happy, intelligent lad. Now it will be seen since he's turning six, 16, he'll be driving around Groveland like mad. I'm from a town called Groveland. For weeks I've searched every store for a gift that's what I'm looking for, but it was a strain on my poor, tired brain, and I decided to look no more. So she makes this original book for me, and then I turned the pages after that, and she took 16 $1 bills and taped them together. Now, I wish I could say these were those 16, but they kind of are, because I turned 50 last week, and my mom and dad taped 50 $1 bills together. As a reminder of that blessing, my grandma passed on. I love my grandma. And one of the few things I have still from my grandma is this poem. And I have her backgammon board. And so every time I open the backgammon board, it still smells like grandma's house. And it just gives me a chance to connect with grandma, but also to the blessing of uh, my grandma, her, her love, her love for life, her singing, 
um, the way in which she just had such an incredible way of making everybody feel valued. So it was fun last week to see these $51 bills taped together because it was kind of a reminder of my parents kind of connecting with that. And my parents, one time we went to, uh, we went to the Washington, D.C. to the Fed. I don't know if you know this, but at the Fed you can buy uh, um, a whole sheet of dollars. So you can pay $25 to get $20 at once. But they're, st- but they're not cut yet. So my dad used to do that, and he had a whole sheet of $1 bills. He'd fold them up into one piece, and he'd always go to the store, and they'd say, oh, it's $5. He'd pull out this gigantic sheet, and he'd say, oh, sorry, I haven't cut this batch yet. (laughs) He got like two years out of that joke, I think, uh, before he finally had to cut the things. Um, So let me show you kind of in real time what this looks like, and then we're going to close with a song. A couple weeks ago when we began the series, I had my friend Matt McKee here, and Matt shared just a unbelievably difficult story going through, you know, terminal cancer and stage four. And as we got to the end of each service, I thought to myself, man, I don't think of myself as having a particularly powerful voice. I guess I was his boss's boss. I guess I'm a voice of spiritual authority. So I just thought to myself, how can I man to man see his wilderness, speak blessing into him and see what he has done and what he does is doing matters. And so this was not planned. This was just kind of impromptu moments I want you to watch of me trying to bless somebody when I can't change your circumstances. And this is from the first two services. So you can get a chance to see this. But this was me trying to just speak blessing into a fellow man going through a struggle. Let's watch. Well, as a dad, I want to say, and my daughter is now our children's pastor because you were her children's pastor. And so it's a whole other generation that's being impacted by your leadership. I'm proud of the man you are. I'm proud of the man you've become. And I'm proud of the man you are becoming in the midst of this. And you've been such a example of how to uh, keep trusting in God when you get the news you don't want. So thank you for your encouragement Thank you for your example. And let me, let me pray for you. Thank you. Father, we, uh, we said for a, a miracle for, uh, for Matt. We thank you so much for the, uh, the certainty of heaven, as, as Paul says, uh, to die is gain, to live is Christ. It's a win-win situation. And we just thank you for the Holy Spirit's uh, word to him, his encouragement to him, his strength to him. Father, we think of uh, Job's horrific day he had so many years ago. And he was able, in the midst of all of that news and all of that challenge and all of those, those horrible things that come his way, he was able to still claw his way through those circumstances and say, blessed be the name of the Lord, for he gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I couldn't speak for about 30 seconds at that first service, um, which you saw. But again, see how I was able to see him in his circumstances. And then I thought, what can I say to him? Man, what's your work you did here mattered, and it still matters today. It mattered to me. It mattered to my family. And I got to the second service where I just thought, what can I say to Matt? 
And that's where I said, man, I'm proud of the man you are. I'm proud of the man you become. And I'm proud of the man you're becoming. That's a blessing. Don't we all long to hear that from voices in our life? I don't necessarily think of myself as an important voice. But man, you are somebody's important voice. So speak those voices. I'll invite the band to come out. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. I want you to look for potential moments that you can turn into picker moments. We drive our kids in the car all the time, but what if we said these potential moments are just a car drive? Can we turn off the phones for a moment? Can I just tell you how proud I am of you? Can I tell you how much I love being your dad? Can I tell you how much it means to me to, to just take these potential moments, a car ride here, a, a family dinner there, a graduation party here, and don't just, just kind of run through those moments, but these potential moments can be turned into, into picker moments. Probably me. Did I leave my phone on? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> Man, can you believe these people turn their phone on in the middle of the car? In the middle of a service. Think of all the different potential seconds and minutes and months you have, and how do we turn those potential moments into picker moments where we pick out the value of the struggle, the value of the person, where we assign the value, let them know that what they do matters, who they are celebrated in this place. This song that we're going to do is one of my favorite songs. I heard it back in Atlanta when I, when I worked in Atlanta 30 years ago. It's by Elton John. It's Elton John saying, I can't promise to my future child, I can't promise that you're going to have good circumstances or easy life, but the one thing I can promise you is you will be blessed. You know, sometimes I see people who uh, have trouble receiving a blessing. Oh, you don't mean that. Oh, so I want to take a moment in prayer, and I want you to try and receive a blessing. Don't try and say it doesn't count. Don't say it's not for me. I'd like you to try and receive that. So if it helps you, it helps me to close my eyes when I pray. And I just want you to hear these. These are promises from God. The guy would say to you, number one, I am your maker. I am your creator. And I made you special. Thank you for the way your heart works. Thank you for what you do for your family. I see all those moments that no one else sees. And I value you as a one of a kind. I know what you've done wrong, but you are worth so much to me, I allowed my son to die so that you and I wouldn't have anything in between us, not your secrets, not your habits, not your mistakes. Here's the gift of my forgiveness. Receive it as a blessing. Maybe you just want to say in your heart right now, God, I receive the blessing. Then I want you to hear this. For God would say to you, man, I see how hard you work and I see the, the brain I gave you, the creative brain, the analytical brain, and I love you for it. And I'm proud of you for the way you care for your family. But I also want you to know you are more than what you wear. You're more than what you own. You're more than what you accomplish. I love you for who you are. Be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.